You wouldn't buy a car without a seatbelt, a laptop without Wi-Fi, or go a day without your cell phone. Could a business survive without the internet? Then why are many healthcare providers and provider organizations still not connected and enabled to share critical clinical information digitally in the care of your friends and family? Welcome to Notify, a podcast from Notu. Join host Dr. Peter Schock, Chief Health Officer, and Teresa Bell, Founder, President, and CTO, as they bring the profound impact of healthcare communication to life through frank conversation in understandable language and through real-world context, they'll demystify interoperability, helping you unlock the potential of healthcare communication at scale. You'll also learn the transformative impact of being no two connected. Connect. Connect. Listen. Listen. Transform. Transform. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Notify. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit today. We've been uh, on the road quite a bit uh, in the fall here, and we've had an opportunity to be at some trade shows and some user conferences. And, Tracy, let's just talk a little bit about uh, the the most recent uh, trade show that we went to was Health uh, out in Las Vegas. Yes, absolutely. Uh, as, as usual, I had the benefit of going for the last couple of years and seeing just how much has grown. And, first of all, that's what impressed me this year is just the – significant expansion of the show and seeing the number of vendors um, and the vendors that have continued to push forward on their mission. And unfortunately, some vendors weren't there that were there in previous years. But so, dude, it's funny because I'm a noob to the whole thing. Right. Uh, So the first this is the first health that I've gone to Um, and I've been to hymns, I've been to Vive, but this is the first health I've gone to. And it was um, it's Vegas. Right. So it's kind of crazy anyway. In Vegas, there's a ton of people there, lots of other things going on. But um, I, I want to get to some of the things that you say stood out to you over previous years. I don't have any comparison. So the things that stood out to me was it was a pretty well attended conference. The layout of the conference was uh, really good. Um, and we had a setup where we got to uh, sit down and meet a lot of folks um, uh, and come through our meeting room. Um, we didn't have a booth there this time, um, but uh, uh, we had a meeting room where we met with a lot of folks and got to meet with a lot of industry leaders in different novel areas in the industry. Um, and that was a lot of fun. So I want to talk a little bit about what you thought, having been at multiple healths, stood out to you this year. Yeah, I think what stood out to me this year is just the uh, the continued push into interoperability. You would, you'd hope at some point that we would have uh, maybe a break in it, but it just tells you the interest is continuing and uh, people see it as the requirement for their business, being able to be connected. And they need it to survive as a digital health platform, whether you're an EHR vendor, software platform, hardware platform. Uh, it is definitely one of the primary topics that uh, that these vendors are looking for. So it was a great show for us, great discussions, and excited to see it become a meaningful part of everybody's stack. Did you feel people are they're understanding interoperability differently um, or better um, now than they have in years past? Is 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 our mature is our understanding of what we need to accomplish maturing in the space at all? Yeah, for sure. There's what I used to get for questions um, even a couple of years back, and sometimes I still get them. But what I used to get for questions, uh, people would confuse connectivity and and I'd say connectivity at scale and interoperability at scale with like semantic interoperability and the need to start parsing apart data. And and it was used uh, kind of in a general term. And now people are starting to understand the various 
aspects of what interoperability means. And so when they spoke to us, you, there wasn't any conversation this year where I had to clarify what no two did uh, in terms yeah, of part of the yeah, equation. That's true. You know, did interoperability, did we have an interoperability? So that's, that's been fun to watch the edu- uh, market educate themselves, at least this part of the healthcare market educate themselves and see how it's, it's pushing forward. It's funny because I, now that you mentioned that, I can see that that was the case, but I don't know as I knew that that was a difference in the moment. It just felt like we were, there was a lot of conversation um, around what can we do with the data once we have it, um, it seems in the past. And what we're hearing now is, hey, that's all great conversation, but we first got to get it. Um, and you guys are the ones that can get it for us is, is, is kind of the message I was seeing there. Yeah, absolutely. We were stuck in that mode for, if I think back on it now, for about 10 years where we got, we went all the way to the final mile of the discussion and never discussed the, what, what it would take to get the data. Uh, yeah. And then finally, that's become part of the equation. Now, quickly, we'll find ourselves back to that final mile once uh, we see the healthcare ecosystem connected. But it's really refreshing to not have to educate on that part and get to what does it take to get the data moving? And then people start to focus on what they need from the data. It's funny because the final mile is where I want to spend a lot of time in my head because that's the that's the sexy stuff, right? That's the workflow stuff. That's how it's presented. That's the data enrichment. But you can't get there without first getting connected. And everybody wanted to bypass that, um, uh, in, in, including us, right? We want to go right to the end point. And there are innumerable steps in the middle, the first one being connected, that need to happen before you can get to that other point. Yeah, I like to call this difference between data movement and data magic, right? That's the that's the two parts of the equation. And data movement has to happen for data magic to happen. And again, both are important, critically important. Can't have one without the other, really. And uh, you just have one before the other. So it is a chicken and egg scenario. Yeah, it's interesting you said that because I do think that's interesting to me because we talk about impact of interoperability. In our last podcast, we talked about moving from the technical components to really the impact of interoperability, which is some of that data magic, right? But both are important. You have to have data and you have to have the magic. You can't have the magic without the data and moving the data without the magic doesn't bring the impact that we talk about in interoperability. It's really a one plus one equals three scenario. It's truly that scenario. Anything that stuck out in your head, Teresa, about um, any novel platforms or uh, 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 problems that tech companies were solving for that needed to get connected to the healthcare ecosystem to help solve that problem? Well, it's it's been... Fascinating to watch. Technology, I would say, um, has largely stayed the same over the last couple of years, but there is a lot of shift to continued uh, movement to the human, to the person. So what can we do with the person? What's their engagement in uh, in the care cycle and care coordination? <laughs> Um, I got to I, I got to I got to laugh for just a second because your use of the word human is is, is such a tech word, right? I mean, oh, you know, <laughs> we we think as a provider, I'm thinking of them as patients, which is also kind of a strange word. Uh, consumers, uh, persons, uh, person-centered care, etc. I haven't heard anybody called a human in, in a while. Uh, you know, but I love it. I love it. I love it. But you're, you're so, so you're saying technologists as humans, you know, a bunch of us geeks running around. I just disqualify <laughs> the human stance. Disqualify. Well, I like it. It's, it. Human as opposed to robot, which I like uh, very, very much. And in, in tech, you just don't know. In tech, you just don't know. But so keep going with what you're saying, though. So you're saying that you're seeing a, a bigger trend toward the development of digital platforms that are trying to bring the the patient or the consumer into the very center of their healthcare and their health information. 
Yeah, and I wouldn't say that that's new by any stretch, right? We've, we've seen and we've heard that talk for about for a few years now. Um, but the maturation of these platforms, the reality of these platforms, you know, four or five years ago, you saw a bunch of new platforms come in the market. And unfortunately, like I said, some of those vendors uh, probably haven't made it. But those are those that have are really starting to see the maturation of their platform and find find kind of level footing um, and see where their where their application fits in the market. Now, bringing data to that as we start to push into individual access and, and really start to see movement of that in Tefka and QHIN. Uh, really excited to see where these where these platforms evolve to. Yeah, that's interesting too. I, as a physician, it was always strange to me because there was a lot of there was a lot of desire on behalf of healthcare to give health records to individual patients or consumers. There wasn't as much demand on my end from my patients or consumers to have all of the data that we're talking about. There was some component of data that they wanted. And they wanted to have access when they needed it, mostly so that they could move it from one doctor or care setting to the other on behalf of themselves because we yeah. weren't doing it for them. Um, but I, I, I didn't have a whole lot of patients wanting to curate their entire repository of healthcare data on their own. Now, there are some really rational exceptions. When you're going through a complex illness, uh, multiple physicians in the mix trying to make a complex diagnosis or pure diagnosis, there is absolutely a great need and a great uh, cry for patients to have that information at their fingertips so they can be the harbinger of that. Um, but those are the minority in healthcare in comparison to the others. So it's just, it's it's really interesting where the landscape will take us um, when they do have more regular access to their care on demand, uh, to their records on demand, um, rather than longitudinally keeping a repository of it. Yeah. 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 Anything else that stood out to you, uh, uh, particularly about either the the vendors, the the um, problems that vendors were trying to solve, or um, uh, related to um, uh, their platforms, uh, or anything else there at Health? You know, I think that kind of I didn't get a whole uh, whole lot of time to spend on the floor, so I'd love to have spent more time just kind of talking to different vendors. And we've seen a lot of follow up from vendors from the show that are interested in connectivity. Uh, most of the time, in fact, as you know, most of the time was spent in our meeting space, meeting with various vendors that have the needs. So uh, I think that for me, that kind of summarizes what I saw uh, on the floor and, you know, and excited to see what next year holds. Yeah. And I, and again, I don't have anything to compare it to, but I do remember, you know, when we, the, the conversations we did have in the room there in the meeting room, it would be expected that they would be more focused just because they had set up a meeting to talk with us and we were talking about something with them. But I did find that many of the folks we talked to were far more crystal clear about their use case for needing yeah. to get connected for the data, right? Um, and that I, th I found that interesting uh, because I think the more crystal clear we are about a singular use case, the quicker we get, and the quicker we get connected and get the data moving. Man, you saw that one use case, and it's bringing value in the segment it needs to bring value in then there's just interest generated, interest generated. Um, and I think adoption explodes at that point uh, when people can actually see what it's doing around their major pain point, whatever that pain point is in their uh, in their particular area yeah. of healthcare. It's so. been uh, tracking that against the kind of the, the maturation of our company and what we've seen in the market and even pre-COVID. So let's go to 2017, 2018, 2019 and felt like we were really still pushing a rock up a hill in terms of just awareness, education, people understanding which part of the interoperability equation we solved, why that was at that time the most important part of the equation and still is. And then as COVID hit, 
it became this accelerant to people's understanding, um, even though we've seen some decelerant from that, right? People have reverted back to old ways, uh, but it came absolutely an accelerant to people getting educated and understanding it, understanding the need to be able to be connected be everywhere uh, and, and have to do it at scale and really quick. Uh, so that absolutely changed the market dynamic. And then with every other market dynamic in the last couple of years, so we went from pushing a rock uphill to kind of normalizing out for a little bit to absolutely going downhill, trying to not be, you know, totally roll over by the, the rock that's that's rolling top of us. <laughs> that's a great thing. It's a great problem to have. Uh, but it is a marked change and it, it happened very fast uh, in terms yeah. of the market shift and, and what we're seeing. Really interesting point. Really interesting point. Hey, when we come back, we'll take a quick break here. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the biggest problems in healthcare. That's one of the areas that you and I have talked a lot about um, and uh, something that we take a lot of pride in doing at No2 is thoughtfully helping solve some of healthcare's biggest problems um, and want to talk a little bit more about that in depth um, when we come back from break. So uh, everybody sit tight. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. My name is Matt Becker, VP of Interoperability at No2. I wanted to take a moment to introduce our connectivity report. Did you ever wonder who in your area you could connect with digitally and reduce the manual activities associated with clinical information exchange? Well, simply visit no2.com, click the link for connectivity report, then enter your name, email, and zip code, and we'll send you a report to show those providers and provider organizations already connected and waiting for you to join them. Take the first step to getting No2 connected. It's free, takes less than 30 seconds, and will spark digital transformation that could revolutionize your business. There's even a how-to video to make sure you get the most from the report. Connect. Listen. Transform. This is Notify with your hosts, Dr. Peter Shuck and Teresa Bell. Welcome back, everyone. We're uh, here with Dr. Peter Schuck and, and Teresa Bell, said as president, CTO, co-founder of the organization, just talking about the, the ethos of No2 and, the, and the, some of the biggest things that we're tackling in healthcare. And it sounds like a, a pretty big question to ask, but you've been in healthcare a long time, uh, Dr. Schuck, and have, have uh, seen many, many different things. <laughs> you calling me old? Did I just hear? Did I just hear you suddenly call me old? <laughs> I mean, like. Uh, like a one room clinic, right? I mean, that's kind of like where yeah. you came from. Or maybe, maybe, maybe house visits. Well, I did make house visits. I, I didn't do it in this country, but when I was in med school, I was over in the the UK for a period of time and did some house calls over there. Uh, they still did that over there. So, in your, in yeah. your horse, uh, is that how that works? Did you have like the black doctor bag? Did you have the old doctor bag? Is that what you had? We, uh, you know, when I graduated from medical school, my uh, parents got me yeah. a black doctor's bag with my name on it. And the sad thing is, I'm going to say this for everybody. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying it, but my initials uh, are PMS. And so I had a black doctor's bag and I was carrying around a bag that had in gold emblazoned on it PMS, which at that time was um, uh, meant something different probably than it does now. But uh, yeah, so it was uh, scarred for life. Just uh, tried to, my parents tried to do something nice, and and I got teased uh, quite a bit about it. But. Well, I'm going to certainly bring that up in the future. That will that's not going to die. <laughs> but, as we look at your eons of experience in this in this industry, tell us, truth, you know, being serious here, uh, we're we're up against some pretty hard things in healthcare, yeah. and we see some very, very challenging things, probably more now than we've ever had um, with all the progress we've made with technology and science. Give me your ideas as, as we look at what we're accomplishing with this company. What are some of the, the biggest challenges that you think we need to overcome in health, healthcare? 
Yeah, boy, it is a loaded question. I'm I, happy to share just from my perspective what I see as some of the biggest problems in healthcare and, and why I think the ethos of this company um, is having an impact in those areas. Uh, and, and at first, some of these areas are big, big things. And you're going to think, boy, that seems so removed from a healthcare tech company doing interoperability. But hopefully I can draw a connection around where, where I see it um, uh, connecting and, and, and having a real impact. So uh, obviously the one that everybody talks about is cost, right? Um, total cost of care is, is, is out of control in this country. It used to be that uh, pricing was the biggest driver of cost of care. Now, over the last couple of decades, it's moved into utilization, meaning we're doing more um, than we used to do. Some of that is necessary because as technology develops, we develop more treatments, more uh, procedures that actually can help people. Um, but there is a component of that that's probably not necessary. And I'll talk a little bit about those statistics. You know, about 19%, almost 19% of our gross domestic product, which is every dollar generated by the U.S. economy, is spent on healthcare services. And there have been uh, studies that have been repeatedly done over the last three decades that show about 33% of that spend is low value care, meaning that it has no bearing on uh, diagnosis, treatment or management, prognosis, quality of life. So it's wasted care. Um, it's care that didn't need to be done. And it's care that's wasting money and there's an opportunity cost for that. So that's one of the big areas, cost. Um, uh, another area is outcomes. Um, you would think that if we spend that much on healthcare and we spend more per capita than any other westernized country in the world, that we ought to have excellent outcomes and we ought to be at the top of the page uh, for every outcome. But we don't. We rank outside of the top 10 in a number of critical elements uh, judged by the World Health Organization and other health organizations that judge the health of a healthcare system uh, per se. So life expectancy, infant mortality rates, equitable access to care, things that you would think in this country my gosh, we just shouldn't have a problem with those things, right? Uh, but we do. Um, so we're spending a lot. We're not necessarily topping outcomes. So there's a mismatch there. So cost outcomes, um, certainly. Certainly the patient experience of care, you know, what it's like to be a patient in our healthcare system. I have an 80-year-old, 85-year-old father, and I think many of us have parents or loved ones. I don't know how he would survive in the healthcare system without a healthcare professional in his family uh, because it is incredibly complex. Um, as you age and have more burden of disease, you end up seeing more doctors. The care gets more fragmented. Many of those doctors aren't in the same system. They don't talk to each other. Uh, they're not on the same records. Um, I, I shouldn't say the doctors don't talk to each other. The healthcare records don't natively talk to each other um, in a meaningful way. So the, the patient experience, the fragmentation of care are, are, are two big areas as well. And then there's one uh, that, that, that is obvious, I think, to a lot of folks uh, lately, and that is the, the silver tsunami, they call it. You know, this is yeah. the aging population as the baby boomers begin to age into Medicare over the next, um, uh, continue to age into Medicare over the next 10 years in big numbers. And, you know, I think I've said this before, you and I have talked about this before, but there, there's a study done that says from 2010 to about 2030, we're going to see some doublings in some important numbers. We're going to see Medicare beneficiaries double from about 33 million to about 66 million. We're going to see the cost per beneficiary on average go from about 125 uh, to about 225, 250 to care for those folks on an annual basis. So doubling of the number of people, doubling of the cost. We're going to see the disease burden not quite double, but go from about 1.4 uh, chronic illnesses per beneficiary to some something over two, like 2.1, 2.2 chronic diseases per beneficiary, largely led by obesity and diabetes, two metabolic and, and, and uh, epidemic problems um, in, in our nation's health. And then we're going to see 
the life expectancy of each one of those Medicare members on average um, uh, go up by about 1.2 years. So more people um, in Medicare, more people, uh, excuse me, uh, greater cost uh, to take care of each of those folks on average, partly because of the greater disease burden and the new treatments and everything else, the meds and everything else to treat it. And then they're going to live a year longer. So all of a sudden, when you think about that and Medicare being the biggest purchaser in this country of healthcare, and self-funded employers being the second largest uh, purchaser of healthcare in this country, um, we, we have a problem, a looming crisis that we need to, to, to deal with, especially if 33% of what we're spending could potentially be avoided because it's not helpful uh, uh, in improving uh, health outcomes. The last thing, too, that I think, and, and these are just five of my big, big ones. There, there are other ones, but I think there are some derivative of these. Um, uh, the, the next one to me is really around the provider shortages, and this isn't just in doctors. Um, and it's not every specialty, but there are critical shortages in key specialties throughout the country. Um, I know that there aren't enough primary care doctors graduating from residency programs to fill the gap or fill the need for primary care doctors in the country. That means we're using ARNPs and physician assistants, and that's fine, um, uh, and we can use them in those training. But every time we do that, we're pulling somebody off the floor at the hospital, a nurse off the floor at the hospital that now is a, 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 an advanced practitioner nurse. So, And then you go down b uh, below those types of providers to MAs, to nurses, to staff that work in a doctor's office, um, and there are shortages there, and the pandemic made that worse. And then I two two other things that I think are derivatives of this, but you know I'll, I'll uh, pause for a minute. But healthcare operations for healthcare businesses are operating on razor thin margins, where reimbursement in attempt to control cost, right? Reimbursement is going down or harder to keep at its current levels, whether it be from the government through value-based purchasing, whether it be self-funded employers uh, uh, not wanting to pay as much and looking at their bottom line. And expenses to keep staff to deliver care have gone up significantly. And so margins are getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And nowhere is that more important than in the spaces that you and no two and we have really largely focused on for interoperability over the last 10 years in the post-acute spaces. Um, and that's important when you think about it because the post-acute spaces are generally filled with people over the age of 65 um, who tend to need more of those services and we're increasing that population. So those are five or six of the kind of the big problems in healthcare. So I'm going to pause there. I won't list a, a number of others. There are others we can talk about, but they all have in common one important thing, in my opinion. And that's where it comes back to what we're trying to do with interoperability, Trace. And that is all of those can be impacted in a positive way by the democratization and free flow of clinical information at the point of care, by people getting connected and letting the information flow. Now, to your point, that's movement. The magic has to happen as well, um, but but first get the data moving. Um, and I learned that from you, first get the data moving. Um, that's why it's so exciting to be in this business as a provider um, because it's critical uh, to solving some of those big problems. I don't know how we do it without it, to be honest. I don't know how we do it without it. Well, I think those are really, I mean, one, I'll have to just give you kind of my immediate response to hearing those challenges that, that I feel like we're way behind, right, in terms of connectivity, but we've got to move <laughs> fast. I, I do get a little bit of anxiety saying, oh, man, we got a lot to get done. But <laughs> it really drives a lot of purpose back into the, like, into the organization with the ethos of what we're trying to get accomplished 
And uh, if we, I think each one of those would be a great discussion point uh, for, for future podcasts, just to discuss how can we impact it? How can we do it quickly, effectively? Uh, and what kind of measurable return could we expect uh, from seeing connectivity in each one of those settings? Yeah, I love that. I, I love that. I agree with you. I think each one deserves a, a conversation of their own. I think it's to your point, though, about making it important, making it impactful to the people who are doing the work of connectivity. Uh, what, one of the things that I was enamored by um, with the tech org was the thoughtfulness, the talent, the commitment of the people working behind the scenes to do this, but yet the disconnection from what it actually meant that they were doing, right? I mean, it's cool to solve a problem and say, okay, this code works well like it should, and, and that's great, and see something built there. But then when we talk to them about what that really meant and what that could really drive in the end and how that could have an impact in their society, for their family, for their loved ones, man, that's powerful, really powerful. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and it's watching you know our engineers be able to see that that outcome, one, how it affects just the, the pride that they have in their work, but also the impact to their very family. They know they know the impact um, and seeing that opportunity. And I would I would say that it, one of the other big challenges that we have with connectivity is we've we've put in a lot of um, foundational work. There's been a lot of money, a lot of the high tech act, a lot of the stimulus funds have gone into the foundational work, but there's still some friction points in it that have prevented it from working at scale. And we are absolutely tackling those as a company to allow us to start seeing this really become a flywheel of, of data flowing and excited to see what that carries for us moving forward also. No, I, I think that's, a, I have to be honest, from an outsider coming in to know to, it was, it, it was interesting to me because it is kind of guerrilla warfare uh, to do that, right? I mean, you have to really dig into it, understand what's going on at a granular level to be able to get at some of those things um, and, and seeing that happen has been pretty powerful. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up. And I would, we would be remiss, Therese, if we didn't talk about one of the things. Uh, so in addition to uh, health, we've gone to a number of different user conferences across yeah. the post-acute space over the last eight weeks. Really enjoyed meeting a lot of end users, um, a, a lot of people committed to the work they're doing and looking for help doing that work and making it easier to do that work, um, which I think we're going to end up providing uh, ourselves and a lot of other folks, um, but through that connectivity piece. But one of the things that was on their mind um, kept coming up was Tefka Kuhin. Um, and uh, I know there's a lot in that. We'll come back, spend about five minutes, talk about that as we wrap up today. Uh, so we'll take a quick break. Be right back. Hey, Maddie, what's going on? How can I help you today? I think my allergies are acting up. I've had a runny nose for a few days now and my eyes are itching, uh, but I don't have a fever or any other symptoms. Okay. Well, honestly, after examining your symptoms and examining you, I think you're in great health. And I think your allergies may just be acting up, but honestly, some allergy medication should really just do the trick. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Of course. Let me take a quick look at your chart just to confirm your meds and your allergies. And then I can get that sent to your pharmacy for you electronically. That way you can pick it up on your way home. Okay. Thank you. No problem. Um, Maddie, I see from your chart here that you went to urgent care three months ago for a similar complaint, and they thought you may have had a sinus infection and gave you an antibiotic and a decongestant. Oh, yeah, that's right. I totally forgot to tell you about that. I was at the beach with my family, 
Um, wait, how are you able to see that? I can see that because our EHR is actually no two connected. So what that means is that we can share clinical information with other providers electronically and automatically. So essentially, no matter where you go, I'll have line of sight into your care. And I can also send your records electronically to others if they need them while they're caring for you. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I've never heard of anything like that before, but it's great to know that you're looking out for me no matter where I go. Of course, we have the ability to connect with anyone, so it helps us make better clinical decisions and truly just keep our patients safe. So in your case, the records I received indicated an allergic reaction to the antibiotic. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do now. Um, I broke out into a rash and had to go back for additional evaluation and treatment, Um, but it was really painful. I was itchy all over and I wasn't able to get any of my work done throughout the day. Yeah, I can imagine. Let me do this for you. I'm going to include that allergy in my chart here. That way your record is up to date and complete, and it will avoid anyone giving you that same medication going forward. That would be great. Sorry, I totally forgot to mention that. No, it's okay. Don't apologize. It happens all the time. We're all busy and we just honestly forget stuff. Yeah, you're right. Thank you. No problem. And trust me when I say we have your back because we're no two connected. You're safer. We can see all of your care even when you can't remember it. Connect. Listen. Transform. This is Notify with your hosts, Dr. Peter Shuck and Teresa Bell. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we want to close out our episode talking about the most recent conference we were at and then uh, Tefka QN. The most recent conference we were at was what we call NAC, N-A-H-C. Teresa, what does that acronym stand for? That's the National National Association for Home Care and Hospice. It's one of the, there's like three or four big trade shows representing the post-acute space, and that's one of them. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So we we were there, um, had a, a booth presence there, and uh, had an opportunity to talk to a lot of folks. What stood out to you about that conference, and how did that differ from the health experience that we had? Well, first of all, I mean, it, it's obviously notably smaller, although for its industry that we're representing, it's actually the largest it's been. Uh, in. So that was that was good to see, but noticeably smaller uh, in, in terms of size and, and just representation by vendors, right? Um, you do, and it's no disrespect to that industry, uh, but it's been an industry that's lagged for a long time post-acute, but it is, it's accelerating and that's exciting to see, meaning it's closing the gap with with what I call mainstream healthcare. Um, but for yeah, different- Yeah, you say smaller- you say smaller. You say smaller, and I think more intimate uh, in that sense. Meaning that that, um, and I think one of the things you pointed out that I want to uh, uh, emphasize is that it's growing year over year, which is really important because the post-acute industry is rising in importance as more and more folks age into Medicare, and the use of post-acute services really expanded to mean everything outside the hospital is going to be greater and greater and greater and new care models in the home are going to be developed. Um, so it was interesting to see that it's continuing to grow and take on um, emphasis or, or more membership. Well, I think it was, even though that's not what I meant by the word smaller, I, I liked how you referenced to more intimate. And I, quite honestly, I hope that industry never loses that. Pretty hard not to when you know it's going to, when it's going to grow past that, because I would not use that word in defining health. Um, I would not say intimate. And in, in not that negatively speaking, but it's not an intimate setting. Um, there's just enough vendor. There's enough uh, coverage of vendors and, and so forth that you just can't have that. But it still exists in, in the post-acute yeah. space. And there's a lot of close-knit family. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I hope it and never you know, goes when I, away. What, 
when I say intimate, yeah, I hope it doesn't go away either. When I say intimate too, I'm thinking of compare, and that, that may not be the right word either, but it's less frenetic than those big shows like Hymns, Vibe, and Health, right? Where there's just so much coming at you, so much going on. It almost seems like there's, it's it's a real dichotomy because there's a there's a great it's a great stimulus to see everything that's going on across healthcare and all the innovation in tech and all the problems that are trying to be solved. And then it's also nice to get in a room where there's real focus around care settings and talk specifically about some very big uh, but common issues um, at a at a conference like NAC. Yeah, I think it's. Um... For, for me, being able to be in a setting like that and and watch one, an industry change and grow, uh, but two, a significant difference between, still, between that, between the next show and just the industry and what we're seeing at health is there's a lot of education still being done. And there's, they're the most educated they've ever been. So again, no disrespect, but there's a lot yet left to do. And I take that as a personal responsibility for our organization to be educating folks there on what the opportunities are, all the hard work, and I always use this reference, but all the money that went in, all the stimulus dollars that went into building interoperability in the infrastructure, they, even though they didn't receive the money, they could ride the tw- tailwind of it. And I don't want yeah. that ever to be lost because I often hear, well, we didn't get any money, so you know, thus we're never going to be able to make progress. That's just absolutely not true. And there is, there is infrastructure to be able to hitch their wagons to um, we're absolutely the loudest voice and being able to smooth out any of the rough edges that are still left especially as it relates to post-acute but they have to participate and that's that's my goal over the next you know 12 to 18 months to get as much participation from this community which will move the whole industry forward and and put everybody on a level playing field yeah i love that it's kind of like the interstate highway has been built and now we need to build on ramps to the specific areas in the post-acute space uh, or historically post-acute space. The other thing that I think it comes to mind when you say those things, which is really music to my ears, because you know, having been a physician, a primary care physician <clears throat> for 20 years, having worked in health systems, leading population health, trying to knit uh, an entire ecosystem together to control cost, quality, and uh, patient experience, and having led post-acute entities, home care, hospice, and seeing the challenges they face, Home care has always been the unwanted stepchild uh, or the redheaded stepchild, if you will. I don't know if you can even say that anymore, but it's always been the second class citizen. <laughs> it's always been it's always been the second class citizen to the general healthcare ecosystem, right? It's been a passive receiver of discharges from hospitals and health systems um, and uh, served that purpose very, very well. But man, there's a whole world opening up um, for the traditional post-acute space that I think is really exciting to see. And some of that includes new innovative home-based care models, platforms being developed to deliver care in those settings and virtual care that all need connectivity as we move through it. And, and that's what I love about seeing a conference like NAC focused on a particular part of the industry and particular care models. Yeah, that, and in fact, as you know, we're going into a, another senior living conference here in a couple of weeks. I'm excited for that one because that's completely new thought leadership and completely new care models as it relates to planned communities. And I'd lo- I can't wait to talk about that one. But there are yeah. so many different opportunities, um, both what's already been kind of conceived, I think, through value-based care, but also things that haven't been conceived or, or, or not included in that value-based care thought process today that absolutely need to be brought into the fold. 
as we reinvent how, how care is being delivered. Just super excited for it. And I'm excited to sit right in the middle of it because that's what connectivity yeah. is and being able to affect change that way. Yeah, and you mentioned the one that's coming up. I, I really agree with all that. And you mentioned the conference is coming up. I have the privilege of being able to speak at that conference. And uh, I think uh, one of the topics of our next podcast, we can talk a little bit about that because it is what you're talking about. How do we use senior living in different ways and how does senior living become more relevant in the healthcare space? They've got a captive audience. Um, they've been doing that work for years. And I think there's some real innovative ways that they can begin thinking about um, how they uh, break into the, to the healthcare space in different areas. So Look forward to that. One of the things that came up to me so many times, not not only at Health, but a number of our other user conferences, and certainly at NAC, uh, amongst post-acute uh, uh, partners, home care agencies, hospice agencies, but also platform partners and platforms uh, out there, meaning digital health platforms, meaning uh, population health platforms, uh, patient engagement platforms, remote patient monitoring platforms, et cetera all who need to get connected to the ecosystem. And one of the questions that they had was around Tefka QHIN, you know, this big announcement where No2 was one of the applicant QHINs, one of the six applicant QHINs uh, that were approved in February of last year at a big ceremony at the ONC. There were a number of others, uh, five others that were uh, part of that initial class of applicant QHINs. And all of them are going through the process now to go live sometime after the first of the year um, as scheduled by you know, that process. Can you talk just a little bit about that, Teresa, as we close out today, uh, Tech for QHIN? I think we're going to have to have a podcast that's probably dedicated to a conversation in total about that because there's so much there, um, especially as you've talked about it. But maybe demystify what Tefka is, QHIN is, um, and give us kind of a teaser of what we can talk about maybe in our next uh, next episode. Yeah, at Tefka, I mean, if, if for those that have tracked some of the previous networks that have been put in place, there's always what they call a, a trust framework. And, and it's set, in essence, that what that is, it's just kind of a, I, I won't call it a peace treaty, uh, especially right now, but I'll, I'll use it as a reference to say it's kind of a rules of the road that vendors agree to um, say that we're going to enforce these not only on our own infrastructure, but anybody that attaches to our network. We're going to make sure that they're following rules of the road to protect the patient, protect the patient's information for the security, but also for the providers and everybody else involved. Um, and in some degree, that there's there's protection for business models in there too, to make sure that even though at the end of the day we want healthcare to be you know altruistic, we are running businesses, and uh, that needs to be protected, right? So you have this trust framework. There's as much of a technical component to that. There's actually a certificate that gets shared. It's kind of a, a, a you know secret handshake, if you will, between the vendors that say, when I come knocking at your door, here's my secret handshake, let me in. Um, but also this rules of the road. So we have a trust framework. That's what TEFPA stands for, the Trusted Exchange Common Framework. Um, and then QHIN is the actual network infrastructure underneath. So QHIN is a Qualified Health Information Network. And there is a technical framework called the QTF uh, that defines how that QHIN is built and what transactions they have to recognize on that on that QHIN. So just like a uh, you know a mobile vendor will recognize incoming calls, outgoing calls, they'll recognize SMS messaging. Those are all technical protocols that sit behind the scenes. Gotcha. For QHINs, they have a QTF, and they all we've all agreed to implement the QTF so we can talk to each other. Just like an AT and T can talk to a Verizon, can talk to a you know Timo, any of them can talk to each other because they're using the same protocols for communication. That's what's happening. So. Uh, no to one of the currently six named QHINs, um, applicant QHINs, as you brought out, 
that hoping to go live here end of and beginning moving into the beginning of the year um, where of course we're going to have a little bit of a slow ramp into it but the goal is that this becomes the I always say that third time's a charm, and this is really kind of our third time around, but it's not net new. So we're taking learnings, taking technical protocols from previous from previous work, including care quality, uh, very, very successful network. So we're taking all of that in and really pushing into a broader network, a national network infrastructure that can really be used as the genesis for net new innovation and not we're not getting stuck up in the technology or stuck in the technology as as the technical framework is defined we're innovating on it and allowing things to actually actually occur so excited for it super so, excited so tracy you brought up an analogy that i want to see if i can uh, uh, take further uh, just a dumb provider in me from a technical perspective so we've got these kind of policies and procedures which is the trusted exchange framework and common agreement that says this is how we're going to behave so that we protect information protect one another's business interests um etc and then there is the technical framework and network, meaning the people, the nodes, the people who are exchanging the information that sit beneath that. And that's the QHIN, the Qualified Health Information Network. So policies, procedures, rules of the road, technical framework that allows for uh, uh, broad-based exchange. And just like you were using the, you said the third time's a charm. It's interesting because I was thinking you would use the uh, the uh, cellular carriers as, an, as, as a metaphor uh, for this. Well, just like there was, you know, L- 3G, LTE, 5G, 5GE, I would imagine we're going to continue to iterate on our network technical infrastructure to make sure that we're providing the best, fastest um, uh, opportunities for exchange, right? And most complete opportunities for exchange. So it doesn't surprise me that we've had iterations of this um, and may have iterations beyond QHIN. Um I hope so. Meaning, I hope or iterations of the QHIN structure. That's right. That's right. The, yeah. the goal would be that QHIN is just we're just getting started with the, the current QTF. Um, I do believe this QTF is the chance that Fire will actually have to realize be realized. I mean, Fire is now almost twelve years old, and it's still the rage, and it's really anemic in terms of actual usage because it's not done at scale. There's not a trust framework. There's not an agreement among vendors to do it at scale that they can share information. I believe QHIN and QTF will absolutely, uh, we'll see that come to reality and, and that will put away, that will deprecate some of the old ways of sharing information that were just heavier because technology's improved. And now we have some of these new ways um, that are lighter, lighter weight. And who knows what the future holds. It's just, we're just getting started here, but we have to have a baseline to get started and, and uh, we'll see where this takes us. Yeah, the other thing that you and I have talked about, I really appreciate the explanation. Uh, You have made something that was very complex for me to understand coming into technology as a provider, uh, pretty simple to understand based upon the way you've talked about it. And I really appreciate that. And I think our audience will too. As I think about um, the way we at No2 look at QHIN, and I think you've shared that a little bit. I don't know if you're willing to share that or not, but I think we, we looking at it, you've talked about it kind of looking at it as, it, 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 it can be a separate thing, but it doesn't have to be a separate thing. Um, it's just another network that we're going to continue to build to so that anybody on our network has the uh, is future-proof, so to speak. I'm not saying that as well as you've said that to me in the past. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unlike other industries, we can't start something new in healthcare. It's got to be additive. Uh, and we've attempted, because healthcare is so hard and complex, 
Uh, we've attempted multiple networks. And, and like I said, care quality is an evidence of success, right? So it's capable. We're, we yeah. can do it. We can share information. Uh, but QIN services, if, if we were going to go all in and only in on QHIN, uh, one, we wouldn't be in business a year from now because it's not certainly not going to take off the way that <laughs> it just won't. That's not healthcare. Yeah. Um, but it needs to be additive because you can't place your bet on one single thing in, in yeah. healthcare. There's just too much complexity. Just the, the definition, you ask anybody what healthcare means. Some say, well, hospitals, some say docs, you know, some healthcare is so wide in point. its definition yep. alone that it, you just can't bank on one. So no two, our whole premise is one API. We have you future proofed. We'll connect you everywhere. I mean, who knows? You know, maybe the next administration has some view on some net new protocol and, and network. Okay. We'll take a look at it and, and we'll push into it. Um, we're going to attempt to make these as successful as we can. We're not a bandwagon company either. Uh, so there's been plenty of things we've said no to that. I think we've uh, we made some pretty good decisions because those things have not come to fruition. So uh, feeling good about this one and looking forward to the future. Well, I really appreciate that. The other thing that I'll just close with, Teresa, is allow you to say, say this uh, uh, to the audience, because I think it's one of the things that sets us apart um, and that we really enjoy and that I think is really helping to lead to broader adoption of interoperability. And that's, we'll remove the complexity of all the technology behind the scenes to communicate um, uh, when you connect through us um, so that you don't have to worry about it and you can focus EHR vendor, technology partner, um, end user on the things that make the magic. You let us worry about moving the data um, and do um, you worry about making magic with the data once it's in your system where you have access to it? Is that a fair statement? Oh, for sure. I, I'll finish with this you know, kind of thought. I get asked frequently to be on panels, and, and one of the questions that comes up almost every time that I have to just scratch it from the, from the list is, as, as an end user in the audience, they, they want to ask, they want to pose the question of what do they need to think about as, when they're thinking about Tefka and QHIN. Yeah. Actually, I and heard that one of our, our end user conferences this fall. Actually, yeah, yeah. My answer is hopefully nothing, because uh, if you if you're having to think about it as an end user or a provider, I'm not doing my job, and that tells me because I don't think about my mobile carrier when I make a phone call, right? I'm not thinking about man, what protocol is this going through on? <laughs> what's happening here? I'm not. Yeah. I'm hoping that that call goes through for sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's my expectation. But there's yeah. no more thought to it than that. And well, that to take that even. Yeah, and to take that even further, Tracer, you don't think about it until it doesn't work, right? Until you don't have coverage. And then you think about it, right? So so the goal is to make it work all the time if we can so that people aren't thinking about it. So wonderful. I, I, I would love to come back in, in, in one of our future episodes, just dedicate something to, to Q and Tefka and uh, the roadmap and a broader understanding. There's more detail here that some of our listeners would be interested in um, that I think you can provide that I think hopefully can through education and an understanding of what it really is, calm some of the fears uh, and help people make rational uh, decisions around what they need to do in the QHIN uh, uh, world uh, coming up uh, uh, in January and 2024 and beyond. So uh, we'll end it there today, but thank you so much um, uh, everyone for listening in. Uh, we hope to see you on the next episode of Notify. Thanks for joining us today. That's a wrap for this episode. Please subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform to make sure you don't miss an episode. Get No2 connected today and set yourself and your organization free to unlock your potential. For more information on the value of being No2 connected, visit us at www.no2.com 
follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Connect. Listen. Transform. Transform.